Welcome back to Inside Maine. This is Angus King, and we talk about issues of concern to Maine, sometimes from a Washington perspective, sometimes based on actually what's happening in the state on a day-to-day basis. Today, we have a special edition and a special guest. Uh, We're going to talk about the uh, partnership between the federal government and the state of Maine, particularly the funding partnership uh, through the infrastructure bill that passed a while ago and the American Rescue Plan, the last phase of the COVID relief bill that passed last year, the impact that's having in Maine, how those funds are being allocated. And our special initial guest is Governor Janet Mills. Uh, Governor, welcome. Great to have you with us. Thank you for having me. Um, It's a pleasure to be on your podcast. (laughs) Well, listen, uh, you gave your state of the state the other night, and and it was quite extraordinary, the the list of of projects and programs, and on top of everything, a substantial uh, state uh, surplus. Uh, Yes. That that doesn't happen every day. And, of course, a part of that, uh, I I know you'll... uh, concede is due to the substantial federal funding that came through these various bills. Indeed, directly or indirectly, I think because of the uh, influence of a lot of federal money into the economy last year and this, this year, more people are buying more things and wages are up, our GDP is up, our uh, unemployment is heading down, it's trending downward. We want to see that go down even further. But uh, I think we're turning the corner from the pandemic and and um, getting back on track uh, economically. There are some well, the very big, good indicators. That, that, yeah, I mean, unemployment is is way better than people anticipated. The economist said it would take four or five years to recover the jobs lost in the pandemic. And uh, we've done it in pretty, pretty close to a year. GDP is up, as you said, unemployment rate mm-hmm. is down. The, in fact, now, the, the most serious issue I hear when I'm traveling in Maine is uh, the opposite of unemployment. It's, it's shortage of workers. And right. uh, h- how do we address that? I, I think you touched on that in your speech. Right. Well, in fact, we think that a lot of it is because of retirements. The Department of Labor estimated that of 20,000 people they know who have left work, as much as as many as 15,000 of them did so because they retired. So it's the big retirement phenomenon that we're seeing nationally that's also hitting Maine. We also, though, on on, on the good news side, have net in net in migration, uh, one of the best in migration um, rates of New England and one of the highest in in the country. I think we're like 14th highest, perhaps. Uh, So that's good. That's a switch from the last 20 or 30 years where we always complain about people leaving the state. People are actually coming here. That's good. And on the unemployment uh, stats, the the rate of unemployment is one uh, data set. The other thing is to say how many people actually are... uh, collecting, receiving unemployment on a weekly basis. And that's only about 6,000 people, which is about the same number, the raw number as it was before the pandemic. Um, So that's an interesting statistic. We are using the federal funds, much of the federal funds that you and the members of Congress have um, enacted and provided to the states in good part to enhance our workforce capacity through training, through community colleges, through CTEs, through the university, uh, and through loan forgiveness programs, 
through housing and childcare, um, a, a holistic look at uh, workforce development. Many people tell us, and I'm sure you've heard it too, traveling around the state as I have, that one reason they can't seem to go back to a full-time job is childcare. And yeah. we know that childcare professionals have left the workforce as well. So that's a, a double whammy. So yesterday, I, I was pleased to uh, go to the Sweat Winter Daycare or Child Care Center in Farmington, and where they're expanding with the help of a million dollars in federal funds. And we're going to be training up many more people to go into the child early, early childhood education profession and opening up at least 20 more slots for child care in just that facility alone. Because Franklin County and Lincoln County, Washington County were some of the lowest numbers of available child care slots per capita in the state. I, I, think, I was just talking to somebody the other day and they said, you know, Senator, child, if you want people to go to work, you got to have them have good roads, but you also have to have <laughs> child care. They, they view child care as infrastructure uh, right. because it's necessary to enable people to work. And uh, I think it's one of the most important things uh, that, that, that we can do. The other thing I got to tell you, I think your idea that you announced the other night of, of free community college is 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 a game changer. I mean, I yeah, I think that is a huge to me. Well, let me back up. One of the most successful economic development programs for the country in the last hundred years was the GI Bill after World War II in the fifties. Mm -hmm. What you're now proposing is, uh, you know, it's 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 the main bill. It's the it's the equivalent of, of providing that opportunity to young people in Maine and the community colleges is one of the key places where, because we need people, not necessarily with four year degrees, but with, with the training necessary to, to do all the things that it takes to make, make, the, make the state run. So right. I'm, I'm loving that idea. Good. And that ties in with childcare as well, because they have excellent early childhood education programs at the community colleges as well as at the university um, and even the CTEs. And um, we're excited about that. That in combination with the Opportunity Maine tax credit, which we are streamlining with the help of some important uh, Republican legislators. Uh, it was really initially the idea of Senator Matt Pooley out of Augusta to take on that Opportunity Maine tax credit and make it easier, user-friendly, uh, more applicable to people, whatever their degree may be in or wherever they're from. They come here, they stay here, they live in Maine and work here and pay taxes here. They should get a tax credit for their school loans. So that's a big incentive as well. Well, yeah, and, and, and you know, education loans are, are a big issue. Now, the other issue that we've all got to try to address is inflation. And yes. one of the problems is that inflation is driven often by factors that are, you know, not in any politician's control, uh, oil prices worldwide, uh, shortages uh, because of the increase in the supply chain caused by the pandemic, uh, all of those kinds of things. Did you tie your $500 credit to or checks to main people to inflation because it it basically, it, it seems to me that can be a buffer for higher electric bills or whatever is 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 hurting Maine families. Exactly. The idea of getting checks into people's hands very soon as a result of the surplus that we anticipate, the revenue surplus 
is in good part to repay them and to diminish the expenses, the out-of-pocket expenses that everyone is feeling the pinch from, uh, from the high price of gas and groceries and things related to inflation. Um, I, I think it's only fair that we give it back to the taxpayers. And also today, we just announced uh, a give back on uh, electric bills to well, maybe 100,000 people uh, in Maine um, of a fairly low income to, to help with their electric bills, which is really a huge problem. Everybody in Maine has seen a huge increase in electric bills because of the increase in standard offer, which, as you know, is related to the volatile gas prices, price of gas and, and gas uh, uh, fire generation of electricity nationwide. So we're, we're doing two things right now, offering the $500 check, assuming the legislature approves. I'm not sure why they wouldn't. And it was actually an, another idea that we got from Republican leg, legislators and Republican leaders, which I thought it was a good one. Give back half the surplus to the taxpayers. And and uh, you do have you have you gotten do you have any feel for the politics of it? How's the legislature reacting? Well, they're digesting it right now. We've published the budget just the other day. We gave them the doc the full document. Of course, it's a long one as they always are, uh, and they're pouring it pouring over the document now. Uh, to me, it's sort of a holistic uh, proposal to use state money and the, and the re projected revenue surplus to benefit the people of Maine, address the workforce issue that everybody is feeling, address energy issues, address housing, address childcare, address training, uh, address healthcare, uh, and it does that in many, many ways. And of course, we're looking forward to the infrastructure bill, which I attended the signing of with you uh, on the White House lawn just in November. And the white and the infrastructure bill, the bipartisan infrastructure bill, also provides benefits to the state of Maine, with about 2.4 billion dollars, I think, in highway and bridges funding, EV charging stations, um, airports, broadband, which you're going to be talking about, public transportation, and the like. And as you know, we have about, oh, 23,000 miles of roads in Maine, and there are about 3,800 bridges that are more than 50 years old. That is pretty bad. One in five of our bridges are, 80, are over 80 years old, so we really can use this infrastructure money to build our basic infrastructure and make our roads and bridges safer. Yeah, and... And, you know, the, the, the popular perception is that we can't do anything down here. We can't get anything done. And all we do is fight with each other. Here's <laughs> a bill. This is a really important one of the I think one of the most important pieces of legislation in years. Absolutely. Uh, and as I recall, we got we got something like 69 votes in the Senate and the, mm -hmm. uh, a pretty strong vote in the House. So in the Senate, it was entirely bipartisan. I mean, that's a, uh, yes. uh, that's a, that's a real uh, tribute, I think, to the fact that occasionally, occasionally yeah. we can yeah. stumble over uh, success. And this is one we really <laughs> did. And, and, you know, I'm going to be talking with Andrew Butcher, Butcher in a few minutes about broadband, Great. but, but, you know, you've got to know from your travels and, and, and your, your relationship to rural Maine, Franklin County, that, that's that's transformational. I mean, I think that's mm -hmm. going to be one of the most important things mm -hmm. uh, that we do. And we've got a real shot at, at uh, having affordable, universal coverage in Maine in the next two or three years. Within two years. 
That's okay. what I'm told. Uh, we have a good shot at that. And I want to correct something. We have 3,800 bridges in Maine. 58% of those bridges are over 50 years old, to be exact. But you know that. You were governor for eight years, so you traveled over most of those bridges and roads. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And you know, the other thing the, the American Rescue Plan provided was money for weatherization. As you know, Maine has the oldest housing stock in the country. And I think there's about $25 million in the ARP money we're getting out the door now for weatherization and another $70 million for LIHEAP, which is critical right now. We had those terrible freezing temperatures uh, last week and the week before. That's going to provide um, heating assistance for at least 30,000, 40,000 families, half of whom are senior citizens. Um, the elderly on fixed incomes, this is so important to them to get money in the door to pay their heating bill. And well, keep them I, I, I like the weatherization program because it, it'll pay off for years and years. It's it's not a, right. it's a one year expenditure. You, you weatherize a house, you're going to save that family money for years and, and save energy and keep carbon out of the atmosphere. I mean, it's a I think it's one of the best things, the best right. things that we can do. Um, and, and Bruce Van Note is really excited about the money for roads and bridges. Oh, wow. Very excited. I, and sure course, <laughs> I remember driving down a country road in Maine at one point and calling John Melrose, who was the commissioner of transportation. <laughs> I said, John, we should pick up this road and give it to the Smithsonian as, <laughs> as an example of a bumpy country road. Lo and behold, Governor, it got fixed a couple of years ago. Amazing. The power of the chief executive. Amazing. <laughs> well, it's almost time for the annual pothole contest, you know. Yeah, that's I'm right. I'm dying to hear about that from everywhere right. across Maine. Who's got the well, worst pothole? Well, the, and the other thing that I think uh, I've often, I found that people aren't don't realize is a lot of this money flowed to the towns and cities directly. Yes. Uh, and they've been able to, to do some... Uh, uh, long delayed uh, infrastructure projects and, and capital investments that they've been holding off on. And right. it's really been significant for the for the counties. In fact, I think some of them are really still struggling about, you know, how to how to spend it, yep. where the priority should be. And we're getting it out there for safe drinking water programs as well. Some of our drinking water infrastructure, you know, I think um, uh, we have something like 158 public drinking water uh, systems in Maine. So and, many of them. And are we got to deal with PFAS. PFAS, oh boy, absolutely. We just met with the EPA administrator uh, Michael uh, Re Re Regan the other day, uh, and we gave him a load of information from all over the state about the PFAS, uh, inf the, the the devastating consequences of PFAS on our farmlands, on some people's drinking water supplies on wildlife and crops. Uh, yeah. And uh, we're ahead of the curve in terms of testing and and problem solving. Well, uh, P, P, I ought to mention PFAS, uh, we always use these acronyms, is a, is a chemical that it's called a forever chemical. It doesn't seem to go away. Right. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's getting into water supplies across the country. Uh, and it, 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 we're the, the key, the first step is to test and find out where it is. And then mm -hmm. uh, this is something that the states and the localities and the federal government are going to have to work together on. It's a, it's a very serious problem. And I'm, I, I know that the, the state is, you are getting ahead of it on testing. Absolutely. Of course, the more you look for it, the more you find. And our commissioners, uh, Melanie Loisem, and, um, Amanda Beal and others are, are really all over this problem. We've been working with the legislature on it uh, and 
that's part of the supplemental budget, major amount of funding for well, testing. One, one measure of how the economy is doing is how the state revenues are doing because they reflect income, sales, and, and that kind of thing. If you, if you take the federal funds out that have come in the last year or so, are we are we doing okay? How's the how, how's the budget is on its own in terms of state revenues? We're doing very well. I mean, I separate the federal funds from the American Rescue Plan and the infrastructure money, much of which is going out the door into the hands of private citizens. For instance, the business grants, small business recovery grants that were were funneling through the state through state government to small businesses who need help recovering from the pandemic. That's not part of our state budget. The state budget itself is what the Revenue Forecasting Commission looks at, the revenues into the state budget, general fund, et cetera. And that is what we're looking at, uh, a, a projected surplus of $822 million. We have almost half a billion dollars in the rainy day fund. I'm not sure what it was when you were governor. I'm not going to look back that far, but it I was very I can tell you exactly. It was, <laughs> it was 150 until the recession after September 11th hit. Oh, wow. And then then that's, that's where we had to use it, but that's what it was for. Yep, uh, that's right. But uh, it, it, it sounds like you're in good shape. Well, Governor, I really appreciate your time. And uh, as I say, I, I, uh, I think you're, the way you structured the, the, the uh the, the use of these funds the other night, giving directly back to people, which will help them with inflation, and also the, the long-term investments in things like the community colleges, childcare, that's, uh, 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 you know, I, I almost said, you're almost as good a governor as that guy back in the 90s, but no, you're, you're doing great. people. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And we're fully funding education for the first time in history, but that was last year's budget. Yeah. We're putting that forward to. Thank you so much for the uh, for the interview, and look forward to seeing you back in Maine. I know you come back every weekend, yeah. uh, and I love seeing you around town. Well, I was through Farmington the other day and saw your car in the driveway, but I didn't get a chance to stop. But uh, oh well, uh, next time. <laughs> I, I I like it that uh, the governor hangs out in Farmington when she's not in Augusta. Of course, That's I good. do. <laughs> All right, thank you very thank much, you, Governor. Senator. We'll uh, we'll see you and we'll see you around and uh, keep in touch. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for being with us on Inside Maine, but stay with us because we're going to be talking about one of the most exciting and I think transformational pieces of the legislation that was passed in Washington as it will affect directly in the state of Maine. I want to thank the governor again and stay with us. We're going to talk about broadband next and connecting the people of Maine. Welcome back to Inside Maine. This is Angus King. We talk about issues involving the state and also what's going on here in Washington. And today we're focusing on the something called the American Rescue Plan, which was the last COVID relief package that passed uh, back in 2021. And then the uh, bipartisan infrastructure bill, which are both have a huge impact on Maine, roads, highways, bridges, ports, transit, uh, you name it. And the big piece for me is broadband. The money that's being funded from Washington is going to the states. That was a little bit of a battle down here. And it's something that I pushed hard for, that the money should go to the states, not be 
uh, based in Washington because I think that the states and the state of Maine knows best where their priorities are, how to approach it, what their geography is, what their demographics are, where the people need the broadband connection. So there's going to be a significant amount of money on the order of $400 million coming to Maine over the next couple of years to expand broadband access to Maine people and make it affordable. And in order to implement this, the state has created something called the Maine Connectivity Authority, which will be the, the funnel, if you will. They'll be the people that take the federal money and then distribute it and work with communities and individuals and companies throughout Maine uh, to uh, expand broadband, which I think is one of the most important things uh, that we can do uh, uh, at, at, as we uh, enter this new economy. And with me is Andrew Butcher, who's the first director of the, uh, of the Maine Connectivity Authority. And Andrew, before we talk about how the authority is going to work, tell me, give, give me 30 seconds on why this is so important. Why is the senator so wound up about this? Well, uh, I feel like we, we could almost give you the, the whole amount of time to talk about this because it, it, uh, I know it's been a part of your vision for a long time. And Senator, I, I can't thank you enough for your and, and your team's work, not just in enabling the funding, um, but the way in which the funding has been enabled. And you're absolutely right to underscore that the ability for the state to have the our, our input on where and how to deploy these funds is really game changing um and it's game changing uh for the reason that you mentioned no nothing short of transformational for the future of the state um this is you know the pandemic revealed that which many of us already knew which is that our 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 modern society, except for the airplane going over my house as I speak, apologies for that, but our modern society is so dependent upon the ability to connect with each other and some form of high speed uh, internet connection. And, and that's really dependent upon uh, digital infrastructure of the future. Um, so what this funding enables us to do is to be proactive in the future that we wanna create. Um, and what an incredible opportunity for the Maine Connectivity Authority to, to step into and, and work with a network of existing partners and leaders to be able to achieve that vision. Well, the, one of the ironies is that the pandemic really put an exclamation point on why this is so important. Uh, I've, been, I've been sort of pushing on this idea ever since I've been down here, but it was, you know, everybody said, oh yeah, broadband, that's good, that's good. And there were people that were enthusiastic, but in the pandemic, we saw kids who couldn't connect to their schools. We saw seniors who couldn't do telehealth uh, with their uh, healthcare providers. And we saw a lot of people in rural areas that couldn't work from home. Uh, and it, 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 just, it, it just made, it underlined how, how important it is. Now, uh, so, so what happens now? What, what's, what's the next step for the Maine Connectivity Authority? The money's starting to come in. Yep. Uh, but we got to find out exactly where where we where the priority needs are. That that's a, that's the beginning of the process, isn't it? It is. It is. So to to give everyone a, a quick snapshot on the on the connectivity authority um, and just to put things in perspective, um, uh, the existing state agency to support broadband in Maine is is Connect Maine. Um, who's done an incredible job with uh, limited resources and capacity and 
in using data to be strategic in, um, in providing last mile grants. Um, and uh, because of some of those limitations, Connect Maine, along with partners like the Maine Broadband Coalition and uh, Senator Rick Bennett and Representative Seth Barry of the uh, Legislature's Broadband Caucus, put forward a concept to create a new entity, uh, now the Maine Connectivity Authority, which moved forward with bipartisan support in last year's legislative process. Um, was signed into law in the summer. Actually, fun fact, signed into law on my actual birthday. Uh, and um, a couple months later, I was I was lucky enough to be selected by the board and nominated by the governor. And I started in full earnest in January. Um, so the Connectivity Authority in some ways is a, a primordial stage of organizational development. And we really got sort of three top priorities to sort of boil down to. The first of which is to is to get money moving first and foremost. Um, there's a pipeline of communities already involved in a, a planning and development process. Uh, we need to make those resources available as quickly as possible. Um, and I'll speak to how some of that's manifesting. Um, secondly, we need to scale up as an organization uh, so that we are uh, really able to make the most of and optimize the hundreds of millions of dollars that we have available to to make strategic investments with. And, and we will do that thirdly by executing on a, on a pretty robust strategy that um, is available on the Maine Connectivity Authority website at maineconnectivity.org. And that, that strategy distills six months of stakeholder engagement to highlight really three strategic focus areas, um, uh, optimizing broadband deployment by reducing barriers, uh, reaching the last mile through a number of different strategies and partnerships um, and advancing digital equity for everyone. Um, uh, we have to have people at the center of our strategies, which includes a pretty important focus around affordability. Um, so, you know, getting money moving, scaling up our organization and executing the strategy, um, that very much defines sort of our top priorities as an agency. And, and I'm really pleased to share that in January, the Connectivity Authority Board allocated 10 million to Connect Maine for a spring 2022 grant round. That's that's open and available now. Um, and that makes about 16 and a half million available for communities in their planning and development and infrastructure projects. And, and as you as you know well, that's more than we've ever had available at one time. Um, and in fact is more than the $15 million bond that voters approved. Maine, the first bond for broadband in the state in 2020, where 75% of voters, 275,000 voters voted in affirmation of better internet. Well, let me, let, let me, if somebody's listening, they're saying, well, I, I live in a rural area. I have lousy uh, connectivity. Uh, what do I do? It seems to me that what the, the, the answer is uh, get organized, get in touch with your neighbors, get in touch with your selectmen, your county commissioners, because that's where the action's going to be. Isn't this is, this is going to be a uh, not town by town, but sort of region by region towns banding together as they have, for example, up in Washington County. That's right. Regional community, you know, the sort of ethos we embrace is a community driven approach at a regional scale. Um, and you're absolutely right. You know, broadband in many ways is is a fundamental community development challenge where there are informed, engaged and equipped communities they're going to drive solutions and in broadband's case they represent a demand for service and that demand for service 
has direct implications on the type of broadband service that can be available. So your chart call to action of communities getting ready and organizing locally is spot on. Um, and, you know, we also recognize that 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 is challenging. That takes time, that takes capacity, that takes resources. And so Connectivity Authority wants to invest in that time and that capacity so that we can make smart data-driven decisions. Um, and also uh, to be able to implement uh, alternative technologies and solutions to provide support in the places where that kind of organizing isn't going to be possible in the kind of time frame that we have. You know, we, we have a huge amount of resources, but we certainly don't have unlimited resources and an uh, uh, unlimited amount of time. We have a real clock that we need to work under here. Well, the governor said two years. I, I think that's pretty aggressive, but uh, you know, I think I know that's that's the goal. But let me t let me back up a bit historically because our listeners may be saying, well, why is the federal government spending all this money? You know, we, why don't we just let the uh, carriers do it and the cable companies do it? And the answer is, if you go back 100 years, it's almost exactly analogous to the electrification of the country. In the 20s and 30s, where people, where electricity was first being rolled out, it was always in the urban areas and the more tightly uh, populated areas. And the rural areas were left behind because it wasn't economic. It wasn't economic for the companies to string wires from farm to farm where there were so few people. Broadband is a very similar situation. We have great broadband in, in, in our urban areas in Maine, but it's the smaller towns and the rural areas where the economics hasn't worked for the private sector. So just as in the 30s with Franklin D. Roosevelt and rural electrification, we're going through a very similar kind of process. And that's where these federal funds, I think, can be uh, so meaningful. I remember, Andrew, hearing a couple of years ago that it would take about $500 million to fully provide universal broadband service in Maine. Well, based upon the money that we've just appropriated here in Washington, we're over 400. So we're within striking distance of really doing something transformational for Maine. Well, we are, we are absolutely in the red zone um, as far as something transformational for Maine. Um, and, you know, just to, uh, I think, I think the calculation was about 600 million to address the state's connectivity needs. Uh, and that was maybe half a, that was maybe five years ago, um, before our, our demand for service supercharged, um, and before there was a, a run on supply and a shortage of labor. So it, it's hard to say what the real cost will be. I mean, it's it's likely certainly north of 600 million, um, but that's also why the tools available to us and the funds available to us are so important. The fact that we now have the connectivity authority has the ability to offer financing programs, to invest in capacity building, uh, to invest in data tools and data sharing, um, uh, to uh, actually be able to embrace multiple technology strategies in parallel as opposed to choosing one or another. Um, it's that that is truly transformational. And, and you know, I, you, you're spot on with with most of your your recap, although I, I want to clarify that um, connectivity in Maine in rural areas is absolutely a challenge and a priority to address. Um, and the the reality of it is we live in a for, for the reasons that we live in a, a large state without a, a lot of humans 
Um, but the reality is that also in our urban areas, our, our connectivity issues are significant and our affordability issues in urban areas are significant. And we have growing urban cores. And for in most places, there's one service provider at most, which as you well know, doesn't create optimal market conditions. Um, and what we really need to do, I think a key part of the transformation is investing in our infrastructure such that we have a robust and a diverse ecosystem of services that um, drive competition, drive performance, and enhance uh, affordability for everyone. And in the federal legislation, affordability was a big piece of it. In fact, the Huge. requirement is that anybody that takes this money has to provide an affordable alternative to their uh, to their customers. That's right. That's right. They have to, and and you know the other amazing innovation built into the. Uh, recovery packages was the development of the affordable uh, connectivity program, uh, which provides a $30 a month subsidy and that builds from the emergency broadband benefit subsidy um, that was in place last year. Uh, and $30 uh, per consumer is 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 not nothing. That's that's a it's a big level of subsidy. The challenge is that it requires our internet service providers to facilitate and administer that income qualified program, which as, as you can guess, many internet service providers are not well equipped for that kind of customer service. Many are, um, but it's a challenge. And so I think one of the things that we want to try to do is engage our service provider community to craft what would be a an aggregated administration model such that uh, perhaps the connectivity authority makes it easier for people to have access to those subsidies and to those funds. But it, but in the long run, my preferred solution is competition. Uh, I think that's the that's the best check on on the price. If if you have multiple providers and the consumers can make a choice based on what makes most economic sense for them, that's uh, in in the long run. I think that's that's where we're. I hope we're headed. Uh, spot on. I mean, I think that um, that is why I think for us, you know, uh, you, you mentioned the governor's pledge of everyone everyone connected all in. Um, by 2024, I mean that that is that is really that that is really a commitment to uh, uh, everybody who's not who's without a connection who's who's unserved, and in Maine that that constitutes about 80,000 households. Um, 80,000 households uh, cannot wait for a comprehensive strategy and set of infrastructure to be planned, designed, and built. Um, uh, and while we, we absolutely can't invest in short-term strategies only, uh, we absolutely can and need to make sure that everyone has the opportunity to access the internet in some form or another. And that, that those investments and those strategies are intrinsically tied to a long-term strategy, which embraces uh, public ownership options, it em embraces financing options, all of which enable the kind of competition uh, that you're highlighting and articulating, and I think also allows for us to invest in, you know, advancements in technology um, and to be strategic in embracing technology that is rapidly evolving and to be able to deploy it in the places where there's the most amount of need. Well, that's in, in just a couple of minutes left. I wanted to, that's exactly where I wanted to go. We're not, there's nothing in the law that says you have to use a particular kind of technology. It could be fiber, it could be 5G, it could be some combination, it could be satellite. I mean, there are all kinds of technologies, as you say, that are that are developing. Uh, so we're not really talking about 
uh, choosing a, a technology, and the, but we do want it to be fast and future-proof. Uh, and I think that that was the goal that we had when we were putting this uh, legislation together. And of course, in a place as, as diverse geographically in Maine, it may be that a technological solution that works in one area uh, won't won't work very well in another. You know, that that point that you just made is so significant. And I just I wish we could amplify it in as many different ways as possible, because the the biggest game changer that we now have at our disposal with the connectivity authority and our american rescue plan and infrastructure investment resources the biggest is that we have the ability to to embark upon multiple strategies at once it is not a one size fits all solution to our connectivity needs when your point regarding different technologies applied in different places is nuanced but that's what's needed to be able to connect people in the short term and to be able to sustain a public benefit in the long term. Um, and that's 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 what I, I think we're all talking about when we talk about building the infrastructure for the future. And it's absolutely a, a transformational opportunity. Well, Andrew, I, I really appreciate the work that you're doing. I know that you you must feel like uh, you're uh, you're swimming in a, in a pretty big river all of a sudden. Uh, but uh, it's it's a problem everyone should have. You have uh, a lot of resources uh, headed your way. Uh, and again, to to our listeners, if if you're in a place where you have uh, limited access, or high cost, or no access, uh, you, you gotta you gotta get organized. Talk to your neighbors. Talk to your community leaders, uh, because uh, the next two years in Maine are going to be very exciting. And uh, I think I, I haven't really talked about this. This is an opportunity to revitalize our rural areas and small towns where people can work from home. Uh, they don't have to leave their, their rural area and they can work for a worldwide company for that matter uh, if they have the bandwidth. And that's really, what we're, uh, that's really what we're talking about here. And I think it's a great, as I say, I keep using the word transformational, but I really think it is. Uh, I've been, you know, working in and around economic development in Maine for 30 plus years, and I think this is the the biggest single game-changing opportunity that I've seen. Well, I I certainly concur. I haven't been in in, in the game as long as you, but I certainly appreciate all that you've done to um, uh, enable where we're at right now. And um, you're right in that I I do feel a little bit sort of right at the at at the top, uh, right before you're about to drop into a whitewater rapid. <laughs> um, uh, I do feel a little bit of that, um, but I mean, what a tremendous place to be right now. And, you know, earlier the, the governor mentioned uh, the trend of in-migration. Um, I think that combined, that's only going to expand. We're only going to see an increase of climate and pandemic and great recession refugees, I'm sorry, great resignation refugees. Um, and uh, people are going to be coming to Maine because of what Maine is. And if we really want to preserve that and build from our strengths, we also have to make it possible for people to participate in the modern economy so that it's not such a big choice to go to work or maintain childcare. Now, having a six-year-old, I will also say, having a six-year-old at home while trying to Zoom has its own level of complications, <laughs> but it's a doable choice. Well, Andrew, you're you're absolutely right, and and uh, my belief is that the future belongs to the nice places, 
because people can work from anywhere and as long as they have that connection. So what you're doing is so important. I want to thank you and uh, uh, we'll, we'll be keeping in touch. I'm sure this is the second conversation we've had this week and uh, we'll be working through the process uh, down here in Washington and, and let us know when, when there are things we can help. And to our listeners, thank you for being with us on Inside Bain. Uh, I hope you've gotten some feel today for some of the uh, things that are going on in terms of the pretty exciting infrastructure transformation that I think is going to be uh, really, really positive for Maine. I want to thank the governor, thank Andrew Butcher for joining us, and thank you for being with us on Inside Maine. This is Angus King. Talk to you next time.